Good morning. I'm your host, Claudia Shambaugh, welcoming you to the September 5th, 2023 edition of Ask a Leader. Returning to this show is Vic Dramy, editor and publisher of The Blunt Post, host and producer of Blunt Post with Vic on Radio KPFK, and documentary filmmaker of the feature film Motherland, given that the Republic of Artsakh is in greater tatters than when he last was on Ask a Leader, given that the media is watching a little bit more closely the mud show at Burning Man, or Barbie, that media appears to be missing some salient points about this disputed territories in the Armenian and Azerbaijani area. It all, we've, we've talked about how it connects back here many, many times. So it's useful to return to sources like Vic, who attend to existentially threatened nations. We'll tap into all of that in under one hour. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the show. We're live, and it's a fresh show. We got Vic out in the field or somewhere. And despite the understandable reprise programming necessary to give a lot of people some time off going into and extending the Labor Day weekend, I'm so glad that I get a live show with Vic Dramy to bring again to our attention the humanitarian crisis. Vic, you're, you've got a lot of air blowing around, so if there's another place you can be more protected, we're going to take that place. Uh, so returning is Vic, and he's going to bring our attention humanitarian crisis taking place in and around the Republic of Artsakh, formerly known as Nagorno-Karabakh. Vic is editor and publisher of The Blunt Post, host and producer of The Blunt Post with Vic on KPFK Radio, and documentary filmmaker Motherland. The Republic of Artsakh that's in, figured in this it's very centrally, it's also referred to as Nagorno-Karabakh. It's a small republic in the South Caucasus about which Vic's documentary tells a story on the ground in the trenches, in the corridors of power, and on the platform of oligarchic stagecraft. Vic is a contributor to the LGBTQ San Diego County News, Windy City Times, Houston Voice, DC Life Magazine, Out and About Nashville, Q, Virginia, GNI, Mag, Q Notes, Goweho, Asbarez, the California Courier, Desert Daily Guide, Armenian Weekly, GD, and he's been also collaborating with a good deal of others. I'm not going to mention all everything that other of the publications that are raising the profile of Artsakh. In 2020, Vic founded the Truth and Accountability League, combating the anti-Armenian disinformation, which is quite prolific, which we'll talk about here and it's how it's carried out in the most subtle ways. Today, Vic will explain about the eight months, almost nine months long blockade in the Lachin Corridor, break down what analysts are getting wrong, and offer a template about how to achieve an understanding of other fronts without feeling exhausted or helpless. So for a moment, uh, that exercise, I want to start with, I want to welcome Vic to back to Ask a Leader, and then we're going to go straight to the Irvine City Council Chambers. Welcome back, Vic. Thank you, Claudia. Thank you very much. It's good to be back, and thank you for uh, the introduction uh, and your, your insights and interest. Uh, it's much, much appreciated. Well, you're the one bringing the insight. I'm just going to probe and push and and raise and amplify. And uh, insight, well, I'll, I'll try to bring a little bit, because actually, since I first was aware of what was happening in October 2020, I really had to bone up on all things Armenian, and I had little, you know, ideas, but thank you for giving me that sort of nod about, you know, getting a little, it's context, at least I'm getting a little bit of context. But first, I'd like to ponder out loud with you about how remarkable was the presentation of your film Motherland in the Irvine City Council Chambers. I think it was just last February. It's not that long ago. It seems like it's much longer. And then you can give us a little idea about the subsequent measures that were taken after that form. But it was sitting in there. It was a remarkable sensation that came over me. Was that palpable to you? Yeah, it's good to hear that. Absolutely. It was very it was an overwhelming experience uh, being Orange County, being uh, invited by the vice mayor to screen Motherland in the council chambers. And knowing that 
Uh, lots of key people are in the audience, including the council members, uh, and we did a Q&A uh, afterward. And, you know, uh, hearing the feedback afterward and how it uh, really opened people's eyes and it led to the city of Irvine to recognize the Armenian genocide of 1915, uh, and then also they, they approved a plan to build a memorial to the genocide in Grand Park. So uh, it was definitely just an outstanding thing that happened uh, thanks to so many people that were involved with that. And then there were, as you said, there's resolutions, a resolution later, and there is a commitment. I don't know how far along the project is to commemorate. Is it in the Great Park area or something closer to the city hall? The actual, the it's acknowledgement the of the, in, in the Great Park. Okay. So there's. Yeah, um, that, that I know. And these things take time. So it's just at the very beginning yes. of the process. Well, it took, um, a, it took a long time for the genocide to be recognized in the White House. <laughs> it took about 100-plus years. 106 years. It took, for the, it took 106 years for the United States to finally recognize the Armenian genocide. First, it happened with the House, then Senate, and then, of course, uh, President Biden in 20, uh, 2021 uh, finally recognized it. And what we're seeing now is really the resumption of the Armenian genocide. Um, this is what Armenian community is going through for the second time. This is continuation of it. So that is just a proof of the concept that it takes a long time to get things, to get institutionalized and rate, sort of fundamentally build build a, and acknowledge a commemorating uh, something as monumental as this. I'm, I'm using monumental. Yeah, I mean, it shows that when you don't hold nations and regimes accountable for crimes against humanity, genocide, uh, that they will repeat it because, you know, they did with impunity. Well, or, you know, Turkey is yet to acknowledge the Armenian genocide. In fact, uh, you know, they have a, a state-sponsored genocide denial campaign that they've had for decades, uh, trying to prevent nations from recognizing it. Of course, they haven't really succeeded much because 30-something nations have recognized it, including, uh, as I said, you know, U.S., France, uh, Italy, Canada, Russia, Switzerland, etc. Well, the other problem with the uh, holding nations accountable for genocide is if, if that does not take place, it enables other countries to help themselves to other territories. Absolutely. So that's Absolutely. which we are seeing, which we are seeing in full-on intercontinental uh, examples there. So, well, since you were last on, it was, I believe it was about the second or third week in January of this year, Turkey had an election. Turkey's leveraging NATO for everything they've got because they're a, they're a Black Sea superpower. I'm getting all that from discussions about Ukraine. Azerbaijan has taken advantage of the world's attention toward Ukraine, and Azerbaijan is is taking tremendous financial opportunities as a back channel for trade to Russia, trying to be off the books with everybody. But we know they're making bank and they're helping Russians resupply in the Ukraine war. So a lot has happened since you were here. Now, um, so that's part of the context. So I would like for us to spend a larger share of this show for you. And please tell me how to pronounce the blockade, the Lachin, Lachin? Lachin or, you know, Lachin is fine. Lachin. And what, where does that, what, what the, where does or the name come from? Say Lachin. Lachin. Where, where does that word come from? Um, to be honest, I haven't, uh, uh, I haven't looked it up. But my guess is, uh, considering when the Soviet Union took over, uh, in 1920, they sort of like gave everything a Soviet name. Oh, that's what it is. Uh, that's the origin. Yeah, I, I can't say that for sure. But, okay, uh, it's been called the Latin Corridor for you know, as far as I remember. And this corridor, it's the last remaining road connecting Armenia to the Republic of Artsakh. And for people that are easily confused, uh, they will see more reference the Nagorno. Karabakh area 
but it is officially, it is the Republic Artsakh. It's still controlled by indigenous ethnic Armenians after they lost control of the area in the latest round of fighting in 2020. So uh, there is so much to say about yeah. the impact that, that there was a genocide perpetrated again in October 2020, but with the blockade, that genocide, that is a genocide condition that's emptying out those Armenians that are trying to stay in the Republic of Artsakh. And as was covered in a recent piece on uh, Pacifica Radio, it was an interview where a family member in the U.S. was worried that once a relative inside the Republic of Artsakh was able to leave through that, somehow through that corridor, but that's not, it's not open. But once they leave, they're not coming back so that they, it is being emptied out. And I don't use the ethnic cleansing. I never use that term, but this is, it's getting emptied out. So map, paint the whole vivid picture of what's at the mm-hmm. receiving end of that blockade. Sure. So I can imagine people listening are, must be very confused as to what we're talking about. So I'm going to do a quick context and history. Um, Artsakh um, has been an integral part of Armenia for millennia, and it's sort of on the eastern end of Armenia. When the Russian uh, Empire was at its height in the 1800s, Artsakh was basically, um, it was like partisans. And then when, uh, you know, when the Soviet Union took over in the early 1920s, Stalin wanted to um, create conflict between different ethnic groups and different republics who at some point were their own independent nations to, um, so that all these nations and republics would be fighting each other and never really sort of um, uh, unite against the central power in, in Moscow. Um, at the time, there was no such thing as Azerbaijan. So in uh, 1918, right before Stalin, uh, 1918 territory was created uh, called Azerbaijan to gather a lot of nomadic people. Um, that didn't last long. In 1920, it folded into the USSR, as did all the other um, uh, nations and republics, including uh, Armenia, of course, and Lithuania, Latvia, Belarus, etc. And Stalin's cynical uh, move was to appease uh, Azerbaijan, oil-producing nation, and uh, it was an answer to a lot of, this was right after the Armenian Genocide, a lot of threats of violence from the, the, the Turkish side. Stalin put Artsakh under the administrative care of Azerbaijan. And for 70 years, Armenians under the administrative care uh, of Azerbaijan, although I mean, uh, Artsakh was considered and was labeled an oblast, an independent autonomous oblast, and they had their own sort of, you know, their own autonomy, or supposed to. For 70 years, Armenians of Artsakh were subjected to brutality, discrimination, violence, and then in 1988, uh, when People of Artsakh decided that they're going to regain their independence and re, you know, rejoin Armenia. Azerbaijan retaliated, and between 88 and 1990, uh, pogroms were carried out where 30,000 Armenians were massacred. And then in uh, 1991, when the USSR fell apart, uh, Artsakh was one of the first republics to declare its independence from the USSR. Uh, all legally, but all international law. In fact, they declared their independence before Armenia did, or Azerbaijan. But of course, Azerbaijan uh, didn't take well to this, and a, a war was declared on the people of Artsakh, which lasted until '94. Then a ceasefire was uh, reached by um, the OSCE, um, which is the Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe with three representatives, France, U.S., and uh, Russia, in 1994. Now, this, this ceasefire was sort of volatile, and, but it existed. And the only road that connects Artsakh to Armenia is the Latin Corridor. 
And so this is how it was for almost 30 years. And then in, 19, in 2020, almost three years ago, September 27, 2020, Azerbaijan, with help from Turkey and by bringing ISIS and jihadist mercenaries from uh, Syria, Libya, and Pakistan, orchestrated uh, a genocidal assault, an invasion of Artsakh, um, which lasted 44 days. They massacred over 5,000 Armenians. They uh, basically they occupied 90% of Artsakh. Only about 10% of it is left. And so a lot of Armenians from Artsakh, of course, uh, fled. Uh, 120,000 uh, were left behind. Now, I'm almost done. Uh, on December 12th of last year, so about eight plus months ago, uh, Azerbaijan, in its effort to um, basically get rid of all the Armenians from Artsakh, decided that they're going to bring these fake eco-activists to close the Lachin Corridor and essentially starve Armenians to death and make uh, living there so unbearable that they would leave. Um, they're attacking and shooting at people uh, from all sides, um, including farmers. So for about uh, eight plus months, about 120,000 Armenians have been without much food, medicine, uh, the electricity, gas, internet, whatnot, uh, has been cut many, many times. In fact, most of the eight months of it that had no electricity, gas, internet, because Azerbaijan sabotages it. This is especially during the winter. And, and for those that know, Armenia and Artsakh are very high elevation nations. It's very cold during the winter. We're talking freezing temperatures. And so what's happened now is people are literally dying. We've had two confirmed deaths from starvation uh, that, that it's been confirmed. And, you know, for three years we've been saying, this is genocide, this is genocide. And nobody was paying attention or, or cared because Azerbaijan is a very key state uh, that produces oil and gas to the West, including Europe. European nation is very dependent on it. And Turkey is in NATO. I don't know why, but it is. And, you know, Turkey has a lot of leverage power. Turkey has been holding 3.6 million Syrian refugees and getting billions from European Union for it. But Erdogan, the president, keeps threatening Europe that if you don't play games, I'm going to unleash the 3.6 million refugees onto Europe. So... As a result, the world has turned a blind eye. Uh, there's been a lot of political pain, you know, posturing and rhetoric and such, but nothing substantial because they don't want to um, damage their, their interests with uh, Azerbaijan. Also, Azerbaijan, you know, with unlimited money, buys billions with a B of weapons from uh, many nations. And so, uh, you know, it's basically everyone for themselves, attitude. Armenia doesn't have much of natural resources to offer anyone, and so it's kind of uh, sort of friendless, uh, except for France to a degree, but even France, you know, they're not doing as aggressively as, as they should be, uh, although a few days ago, France, the mayor of Paris herself, uh, went to Armenia and took uh, thousands of tons of humanitarian aid in trucks. Uh, to the Latin corridor to get into Artsakh, but Azerbaijan blocked her and wouldn't let her uh, enter. Um, so there it is. That's the background context and where we're at now. And one last thing I'll say is it took two non-Armenian experts um, to say that this was genocide for, uh, for the world to finally uh, take the notice. And that's one of them is the uh, former International Criminal Court Prosecutor uh, Louis Marino Campo, and then the first UN Special Advisor on Genocide Prevention, Juan Mendez, uh, who both of them uh, released reports about two weeks ago saying what's happening in Artsakh is genocide. And so now, as you said, there's more coverage uh, in the press. People are talking about it more. Of course, even some of the coverage is very it's inaccurate and it's riddled with, with inaccuracies. And part of that is because for years and years, in fact, over two decades, 
leading up to the attack uh, in 2020, Azerbaijan spent, and this is all public knowledge, you guys can Google it, spent uh, 2.9 billion, with a B, euros on what's called the Azerbaijan laundromat. At OCCRP and we talked about that. Russia. You talked okay. about that in January. And so it's Correct. that juggernaut is still producing, providing for the Azerbaijani message and brand. And they still do it. I mean, they still have, you know, a tremendous amount of public relations firms and lobbying firms trying to uh, confuse world leaders and media with disinformation, propaganda, lies. I mean, it's just it's absurd. I mean, this is how absurd it's gotten. The Azerbaijan state media and some of their uh, representatives are calling Armenia Western Azerbaijan and that they're going to liberate it one day. Now, Armenia, we have old ancient manuscripts that are referred to Armenia as far back as about 8,000 years ago. Uh, Azerbaijan as a nation, as an independent nation, is 32 years old. So I don't know how Armenia could have ever been part of Azerbaijan. But this is the absurdity of the rhetoric, the brainwashing of the Azerbaijani public, uh, which President Aliyev has been doing, filling them with armenophobia to distract from uh, his own um, corruption, uh, lack of freedom in Azerbaijan. Um, so that's what we're dealing with. It's, and you know, and so I want people lot. to be wary of how that $2.9 billion a euro, so not dollars, excuse my provincialism right. there, that what that buys you is if people casually go over to Wikipedia or something, but that that juggernaut can keep populating the details in those go-to sources for, a, you know, a casual sort of read on what's going on. So it, everybody has to read that very carefully. And yeah. and it's, it's no help. And But before we go into it's no help, my guest, for those of you who may have just joined us, is Vic... Jeremy, he's editor and publisher of the Blunt Post, and he's on Blunt Post with Vic on KPFK. We're talking about the ongoing blockade at the lunching corridor between Artsakh and Armenia, cutting off essentials such as food and medical supplies. So I was I the whole reason I thought on the dime I'm I'm hoping Vic is available today is when I read the editorial Nicholas Kristoff it was published in print on Sunday in the New York Times so I thought you know it, parts of people are going to read that like he did his homework he's Arme his dad is Armenian Polish I mean you knew that right Vic yeah yeah not everybody does and so they would read that earnest appeal in the article but they wouldn't know that it's tarnished by some uh, uh, you know inaccuracies you know outright errors so i i want for people to start hearing how vic is using the artsakh republic reference and but every time you hear nagorno karabakh it's really the artsakh republic that's like the first kind of clue that mm -hmm. there is some kind of difficulty in conceding who is legitimately in the sovereign society, the sovereign nation in that right. real estate known as the Republic of Artsakh. Yeah. Uh, Nagorno-Karabakh was a name that was imposed uh, on Artsakh by the Soviets. It's half Turkic and half Western. Uh, it's been called Artsakh for a millennia. It's all, Armenians always called it Artsakh. And, you know, Nikos's article, even though there were some inaccuracies, was still much better than some others that I've read. And Claudia, if I may, I want to go back to um, go back. the Azerbaijan laundromat. Um, yes. Which their report, from an OCCRP's report, is super detailed. And, and what that did and had continues to do for decades is they spent that money on every imaginable European government and bodies, European Union, Council of Europe, OSCE, uh, some people from the UN, um, they did all kinds of lobbying in the U.S. and Europe, and reputation laundering. One of the investigations of the Council of Europe when it blew up ended up that 14 of its members were fired or resigned. There was evidence of more uh, bribery, but the 14 were the ones where it was indisputable. That's one of the things that they did. Uh, Azerbaijan paid the former 
head of UNESCO, and this is all in the report, lots and lots and lots of money through her husband's <laughs> bank account. So they would turn a blind eye when Azerbaijan would bulldoze literally uh, hundreds of churches and monasteries and thousands of uh, crossbones, Armenians call it khachkars, which are intricate um, uh, headstones, uh, grave sites that, that, are, that were, some of them went back to like 6th, 7th, 8th century, and they still those all of that, and, and UNESCO didn't Vic, say a word. Vic, I just want to say that those those structures are confirmation of how how long Armenian the, the sovereignty goes Absolutely. back. I mean, you don't... Absolutely. This is and not a Disneyland so structure. It's, it's cultural genocide. So right, right, right. Get rid of all the evidence. Get yeah. rid of uh, everything. Of it. I mean, what they're doing is in, in parts of occupied Artsakh, uh, some of these churches that were built, I mean, some people may know that Armenia was the first nation to adopt Christianity as state religion in year 301. So some of these cathedrals and churches go back to the 4th century and what they're doing is either they bulldoze the whole thing down or they turn it into a mosque or they will scrape off all the Armenian carvings and everything. And then the last thing about the media is so Azerbaijan has set up all these quote-unquote strategic partnerships with major media companies such as BBC, CNN, uh, LA Times, New York Times, believe it or not, uh, and others, which is, uh, you know, sort of like, you know, we'll, we'll buy a lot of ads if you, uh, if you sort of control your narrative and your, your editorials. There's a company, the Techset Group by Jason Katz, that basically the only client he's ever had is the Azerbaijan government, and all he does is he writes op-eds in all kinds of blogs. Otherwise, reputable publications with Azerbaijani uh, propaganda. So the 2.9 uh, billion euros, uh, it is a slush fund that was paid through a lot of shell companies all over Europe to all kinds of people. Now, I'm about to say something that will probably make people's eyes kind of bulge out. Okay, before you do that, before you do that, because some of the words are missing a little bit of clarity, if you could just speak a little bit further away from your phone device so that oh, sure. we can get every single because there's a little distortion and I we don't want to miss a single word I hate to interrupt but we don't want to miss so Absolutely. you were tell us what you were going to tell us is it better it's a bit better yes thank you okay so when you have unlimited cash you can buy anything including reputation laundering and favorable articles and and all of this uh, they also do uh, sports washing so they bring, like, massive sports events to Azerbaijan and, uh, you know, promote all kinds of propaganda um, to people. Uh, they do press trips. So they bring journalists who don't know any better and they don't bother to know better. They bring them to Baku, uh, put them in five-star, five-diamond hotels and, you know, dine them and basically then disseminate false information and propaganda to these journalists and say, now go back to wherever you're from and start writing. I mean, this is ongoing. In fact, about a month ago, when Armenians were starving in Artsakh, just 10 miles east of it, in the occupied city of Shushi, they held a, a media event with 500 international journalists, just basically filling them their head with, um, with just lies. So this is what we're dealing with, this kind of mass money going into uh, public arenas, academics, media, to, you know, to just uh, whitewash their crimes and get away with it. And Armenia can't compete on any level with any of that because it just doesn't have that kind of money. There's no oil or gas. And, uh, you know, a lot of nations are sort of willing to turn a blind eye because their interests lie with Azerbaijan and Turkey. The fraternity, and, and, yeah. Go ahead, I'm sorry. And, you know, one of the things that they don't, you know, it's just unbelievable, the human, uh, human being's capacity to uh, be in willing denial. You know, we supposedly are boycotting Russian products and Russian oil and gas because of their invasion of Ukraine. Well, Russia is laundering their oil and gas through Azerbaijan. So we're not. We're just buying it through Azerbaijan. And so is Europe. 
but we sort of say, you know, we just sort of, uh, we don't want to talk about that, <laughs> you know, that, that, uh, uh, or the fact that Turkey, a so-called uh, NATO ally, is doing Russia's dirty job. I mean, it's Turkey who is, you know, Russia doesn't want NATO to expand, so it's Turkey that's up front fighting it, you know, whether it's with Sweden or Finland or whatnot. And so why are we, as a nation, uh, supporting and allowing Turkey to stay in NATO? And not just because of its role against Armenians, but the fact that Turkey has been slaughtering millions of Syrians, Kurdish, Yazdis, uh, Syrians, threatening the Greeks. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's, uh, you know, everyone is this big bully. And so our, our policies, our foreign policy is just very inconsistent because if it wasn't for some of some self-interest, Erdogan and Aliyev should be treated like Saddam Hussein. Aliyev is the leader of uh, Azerbaijan. Azerbaijan, and Baku that you mentioned earlier, where the journalists have been put up in the five-star hotels, that's the capital of Azerbaijan, just to make it's sure the, everybody's... It's the capital of Azerbaijan uh, off the coast of the Caspian Sea, or like, and uh, yeah, and Azerbaijan, I mean, get this, Azerbaijan in its entire existence uh, has had one president who was Aliyev's father, and when he died, he made his son the president, and the current vice president is Aliyev's wife. So that's what we're dealing with. I mean, we're, we're dealing with like a fake democracy, a nation that is kind of ran like a monarchy, authoritarian regime, where, you know, they're just as brutal to their own people uh, in terms of, you know, if you criticize anything having to do with the government, you're thrown in prison. So, um, and the distribution of wealth and, and, is exaggerated as well in Azerbaijan. What, what was that? And the distribution of petrochemical portfolio wealth is also poorly distributed in Azerbaijan. Oh, yeah. The, the, the money from the nations... Uh, you know, Azerbaijan is, is the wealthiest nation in the South Caucasus, but the people are the poorest in South Caucasus because the money goes to the very few on top. Uh, Aliyev's fortune, and again, this is something anyone can look up, just go to uh, Transparency International or CCRP, and The Guardian has done a good job too, his wealth in the billions is invested in the U.K. In fact, U.K. is kind of Aliyev's uh, sanctuary to hold his money and everything. Wow. Ugh. Well, you've painted a very vivid picture of the kind of influencing dynamic going on on behalf of Azerbaijan. I'd like to move us into what sort of negotiating dynamics are now underway and I want to as I just before we went on air I want you to start thinking about how you could make some contrasting and comparison uh, comments about the back channel activity in the Trump administration and the back channel activity in the Biden administration we'll start with that before we get to the UN domain so what is your sense Vic of differences in getting this this being addressed in the Oval Office and beyond. Well, let me start by saying this. You know, I think most of your listeners are, are probably very educated and in the know that the State Department sort of uh, has its own government and its own sort of thinking. And it's not necessarily taking, you know, orders just from the White House. Um, Having said that, the state government, the State Department has been lobbied by uh, Turkey and Azerbaijan, but mostly Turkey, very heavily for decades. For decades, the Turkish lobby was so powerful, um, they, they would block the Armenian Genocide Resolution Act. How did they get constantly. the power? How did that happen? Well, they have money. And you have, when you have money, you hire, you hire okay. massive, uh, powerful lobbying groups that are founded by former members of Congress, like Dick Gephardt, right? Dick Gephardt was one of the most active and one of the front runners for the Turkish lobby to make sure that the Armenian Genocide Resolution Act 
doesn't hit the floor for a vote. And it took decades of it until Nancy Pelosi uh, brought it to a vote in uh, 2019. And it almost unanimously passed the House, and then it passed the Senate unanimously. So the State Department is, on one hand, lobbied very, very heavily. Um, on, the, on the other hand, the State Department is looking for the U.S.'s interest. That's, that's basically what they do. No matter what anyone says, no matter who's president, if they're Republican or Democrat, and they talk about human rights and democracy, no, that's, that's not what they're concerned about. So with the Trump administration, um, and this is, again, all public knowledge, don't take my word for it, even though I covered it in my film with references, uh, Trump has had a very cozy relationship with Turkey and Azerbaijan. Trump has two towers in Turkey and was building one in Azerbaijan, although that stopped because the, his partners there were corrupt and, and it all blew up. But nonetheless, he even admitted that he had a, a conflict of interest. So Trump basically, listen, the kind of invasion and massacre that happened in 2020 doesn't happen without the knowledge and to a degree the green light of world powers. That includes Russia and the U.S. Of course, Putin, who was only watching for his own interests, uh, wanted it, and so did Trump. And so it was greenlit, and it happened. And a year leading up to 2020, the invasion, the Trump administration, headed by uh, and also Secretary Pompeo, were waiving every imaginable law and provision so that they could sell weapons to Azerbaijan. We sold hundreds of millions of dollars of weapons to Azerbaijan during the Trump administration, and a lot of it was expedited. So if they didn't know what was happening or about to happen, why was this done and why were so many things waived? So then, then President Biden gets elected, and we think, okay, you know, I'm good. This is going to be a good change. Of course, President Biden recognized the Armenian genocide uh, in uh, 2021, April 24th, which was great, and we rejoiced. Well, a week later, he shocked us by waiving the Section 907 of the Freedom Act, which for decades had prevented the U.S. to give any kind of uh, foreign aid to a nation who was going to use the money to kill people. Um, but he waived it, and so we gave $100 million of um, U.S. taxpayer money to Azerbaijan, a nation that does not need a hundred million for any reason, and we've done it. We've been waiving it ever since. Why is it waived though? Because of uh, the manufacturers wanted that market, or what? What was the rationale yeah, that's, given? That's a part of it, and, and Azerbaijan's argument, which is absurd. And, and I interviewed Congressman Frank Pallone, and you know, even he laughed about it. Azerbaijan claims that that money is spent to secure its borders and to prevent terrorists from coming in. Well. Really? Because you're, you're, you're importing terrorists to kill Armenians. What are you talking about? It's absurd. There are other factors, too. But, you know, basically the, the U.S. right now is, uh, you know, it, it, we have such a uh, hypocrisy in terms of foreign policy and how we see freedom and, and who deserves freedom and human rights and who uh, deserves to get American help and who doesn't. Uh, and uh, what's good for America now, at least that's how they see it, is keeping Azerbaijan happy. So there's a lot of placating of Aliyev uh, by the Biden administration. Um, Secretary Blinken, we have international non-Armenian experts saying this is genocide. Many, 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 many organizations, genocide prevention organizations, have called this genocide, including the Lampkin Institute of Genocide Prevention, and yet... The most severe statement from uh, Secretary Blinken has been, and I quote, deep concern about what's happening. Which, yeah, you know, that does you know, dilute the, the force of, of, of resisting, pushing back on this persistent, persistent uh, emptying yeah. out of people. Yeah, so, it's, listen, I believe in being able to be uh, impartial and criticize everyone equally. I'm a Democrat, or I was a Democrat. I actually changed my voter registration. I'm an independent now. Um, I voted for President Biden, and I'm progressive. Um, but I'm really, really 
I'm very disgusted by this current administration's behavior um, and how they, I mean, this is, there's a genocide happening. Uh, uh, this, is a, this is the continuation of the Armenian genocide, something that, you know, President Biden recognized. Well, it's the same party. They're just finishing off the job. They want Armenians wiped. And of course, oh, there's one more thing that is really important. So the southern part of Armenia, which is called the Sunnic region, uh, the end game for Azerbaijan and Turkey is to occupy that. And the reason for that is Turkey and Azerbaijan don't, are not connected. And the only way they, they're connected is if Armenia didn't exist. So what they want is to occupy that area, connect Azerbaijan and uh, Turkey. And so, you know, there's a much bigger uh, game at play here. And their end game is to really occupy southern part of Armenia. Well, Vic, uh, Vic I'm, going to, I'm going to say for a smaller parlor your calculation of your partisan politics. I want to save that for it's not. I don't want to bring that into this discussion. I want to go steer us back to the ongoing forums that are addressing the genocide tomorrow. Thank you to my source who sent me this morning, a source in D.C., that tomorrow the U.N. Human Rights Commission will hold a hearing on the blockade with whom uh, Vic has just mentioned, Luis Moreno Acampo. He's the former prosecutor of the International Criminal Court, and he just released his expert opinion in, on just this week uh, about the genocide against Armenians in the Artsakh Republic. But still, the UN documents say Nagorno-Karabakh, so it's so uphill to get mm-hmm. the right designations here. But so what do you see is, oh, and it's going to be, he will be testifying, Luis Moreno Ocampo, and also uh, testifying will be David Phillips. He's a professor at Georgetown University and director of Columbia University's mm-hmm. Artsakh Atrocities Project. So well, is now that that's before the UN. Now, the UN Human Rights Commission has kind of got a little checkered uh, recent record with the what what's genocide in places like Ukraine, they're, they're not coming out forcefully. So um, what do you see could be coming out? What do you want, what do you want uh, Mr. Ocampo to come out with and Mr. David Phillips? Well, I have all confidence in Mr. Ocampo. He's very articulate. He's not afraid to speak his mind, and he speaks the truth. And equally, others that are going to testify, I hope that they are um, they're blunt. They don't hold anything back. Uh, do I have, you know sort of huge expectations, I don't, because I've learned better. Uh, Listen, every body, every uh, body, whether it's the United Nations, European Union, Council of Europe, OSCE, CSCO, they're made up of nations. They're made up of nations that are for their own self-interest. And when it comes to a vote, uh, representatives of these nations in all these bodies, including the UN, they vote for what's best for their nation. And that sometimes, not sometimes, a lot of times is, Let's not offend an oil-producing nation, or let's not offend Turkey, because Turkey is sort of terrorizing the region, and we don't want any of that. So it's, a, it's very difficult. We're pushing, pushing, and pushing, and not much happening. Um, the plethora of evidence about this, <laughs> anyone who looks at it, even with a microscope, would say, yeah, of course, got to do something. What I would want in my blue sky which is, I don't think is going to happen, is for the U.S. to impose sanctions on Azerbaijan, which is what uh, Congressman Schiff, uh, Congressman Pallone, Senator Menendez, Congresswoman Barbara Lee have been advocating for, and Congressman Brad Sherman, uh, and, and many others, is that, first of all, we stop waiving Section 907, and two, we uh, impose sanctions on Azerbaijan. We should do the same for Turkey. Um, again, I don't think that's going to happen and demand the immediate opening of the Latin Corridor and force Azerbaijan into a, uh, a discussion about this. Uh, because right now they have all the cards and they have the upper hand and uh, so they are subjugating the Armenians. So Vic, I want to call out where I think it might be an example of a sort of a backdoor kind of flooding of of 
uh, attention to, on the other topic away from mm-hmm. you mentioned Senator Menendez among others in uh, speaking out against this genocide within the US Senate and in mm-hmm. the New York Times goodness I don't know if it was a two weeks ago an article it was like a real flashy article about Menendez's new wife who is an Armenian American and I, I don't mm-hmm. know if that's how that Azerbaijani slush fund works is like let's give let's flood this New York Times journalist with a whole mm-hmm. story about Menez's new Armenian shiny new wife and who mm-hmm. with some you know questionable practices a new business yeah. that she's creating so instead of talking about the Artsakh Republic let's let's do some uh, let's stir up what a, uh, a, a kind of new power couple situation is is I mean is well, that could you implicate Azerbaijani it's not, it's not, they've been married for years, so there's nothing new about it. But this is what Azerbaijan does. If anyone, anyone, no matter their nationality or anything, talks openly and honestly and objectively about what's happening and says anything that is, uh, you know, as opposite of, of their rhetoric, uh, what they say is, oh, well, you can't possibly be, um, you must have Armenian in you. <laughs> Or you're bought by the Armenians. Bought by what Armenian money? Armenia is a, you know, it's, uh, it's just trying to, like, survive the post-Soviet uh, era still. Uh, so that's what they do. You know, oh, Senator Menendez can't possibly be object- objective because he's married to an Armenian. Well, he's been married to an Armenian for many, 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 many years. Um, but this is what they do. There's a, there's a brilliant, brilliant journalist, uh, Lindsay Snell who, God bless her, I don't know how she finds them, I don't know how she does it, but she honors a lot of dirt on Azerbaijan. And poor thing, I mean, she is attacked violently. I mean, some of the stuff that she, that I've, I've seen, people write to her. Vic, um, what's her last name? Because it's still a little distorted. I still move your... Oh, I'm sorry. Lindsay, L-I-N-D-S-E-Y, right. Snell. S-N-E-L-L. Okay, okay, we've got that name, so we, we can watch a beacon of some kind of clarity. Okay, uh, go ahead. I mean, I, I think, Lindsay, I've been following her for years. She needs, like, a Pulitzer, uh, you know, a Peabody Award or something for what she does, investigative reporting uh, at its best. And poor thing, I mean, you know, especially as a woman, of course you're going to get even more vile. Uh, uh, because of sexism and misogyny, so uh, she gets threatened with not just murder, we're going to cut out your head, but we're going to rape you, and all this, like, disgusting things that she gets. And this is what they do. They they want to discredit people. They want to, you know, anyone that, that, that doesn't play their um, their game, this is, you know, uh, this is how it's done, okay. basically. So you've given us a name to follow and uh, the work, and we now we've sort of helped people understand that if there is a kind of a lurid, a kind of it's a racy kind of shiny article about what's going on in these geopolitical settings, like I was saying, the Menendez couple, is if it makes you feel a certain way, stop. Take a moment and think about, is this really important or is this trying to just take my attention off of something that has real impact? I mean, if that's because I want to leave listeners with this segment, this this episode of Ask a Leader, I want them to get uh, over feeling exhausted about, you know, what do we sign on to? How do we follow up? How do I be literate and all these things? But just take a moment and and understand what is this media piece doing to your head? And does that mean you need to question whether this is even, if it's doing a different kind of a job, it's, it's flooding you with unessential kinds of details, and so that you mm-hmm. can at least not feel exhausted, but just feel affirmed in that you understand, oh, this is, a, I'm being played, I won't be played, and I'm going to continue to investigate the sort of earnest ventures that people like Vic and others are doing so that I I can say to the next generation, I didn't just, be, I wasn't just a, a bystander. I I stopped, I, 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 you know, dug in and opposed in a cosmic way, and you can be more material about it. Folks, Vic's going to give us a few uh, things in conclusion here uh, in, in significant ways 
not overwhelmingly involved like Vic is, but you, there are sort of smaller things to do. So you, you don't feel exhausted. You feel like you're holding yourself accountable and you can be an example mm-hmm. to your successor. So let's go into that, that wrap up. We have like two minutes total to do yeah, that. You, you, said it, you said it very well. I, well, thank you. you know, my thing is don't, don't believe me. Um, do, your own, um, do your own search. Look at media and the source. And, you know, there are, there are media outlets that are really doing incredible work. We wouldn't know about the Panama Papers or Azerbaijan Laundromat or many other uh, major, major breaks in international, international news if it wasn't for uh, OCCRP or Transparency International. They really do a great job. These are journalists that do it. Uh, it's all pro bono. Um, they don't get paid. But their whole point is to have to investigative uh, pieces that really, uh, not just please Azerbaijan and Turkey, but they bring light to corruption, uh, money laundering, and, and all kinds of stuff. Um, and as you said, you know, question things, uh, the motives of it. And, uh, and, and then, you know, you can always go to my nonprofit's website, which is truthandaccountabilityleague.org. In the media section, there are all kinds of not just articles, but there are resolutions and statements. So these are, and there's hyperlinks to official ones. So this isn't something anyone can manipulate, including me. But when you click on it, it goes straight to the resolution, whether it's by, you know, France or, you know, Human Rights, you know, Human Rights Watch or Amnesty International, and just read those because that's coming straight from the source. There's no journalist interpreting it or putting in their own sort of, you know, whatever. So thank you, Vic. That is all we have together for the show today. And please come back and bring us up to date on where we can improve our literacy and raise our impact because anybody's genocide is on our watch. It's it's our watch, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you, Vic, so thank much you. for thank your you, time Claudia. today. I really appreciate you thank bringing you. attention to this. Thank you. My guest was Vic Dramy, editor and publisher of the Blunt Post, as well as the host producer of Blunt Post with Vic on KPFK. And he's a filmmaker of the documentary Motherland. A lot of what he's just talked about is spelled out in that documentary about Turkey and Azerbaijan's attack on the Artsakh Republic. Well, that's my wrap. Next week, my guests include Rohan Sony and Sara Dang, local high school students, about their Dear Me mental health projects. That's all we've got for today. Talk with you next week. Thank you, everyone, for listening.